Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today, John Vallis from the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast, an excellent podcast. If you've not listened to that one before, make sure you go and check it out. Before we do this show, I do want to give the deserved shills to the companies that have supported me and will support you in helping you with your fiat cost averaging. Now, I know you guys don't particularly like the shout outs. Some of you do, some of you don't. But at the end of the day, there's a big meme in the Bitcoin space. We need better user experience. We need better companies. We need to be able to help onboard people. How else are we going to help people understand what companies are out there if we don't try and help spread the message for these companies that are being built by these entrepreneurs? So, CoinFloor in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk, swanbitcoin.com in the US, and across Europe, Relay, R E L A I. .ch. Go to any one of those links and use forward slash bitten. It'll take you to a landing page and it'll give you information on the discounts, etc. that you'll be able to get and create your own affiliate links so you can then share that with your friends and your family and help bring them into the Bitcoin space. As you know, the next logical step to take is to get those coins off the apps or off the exchanges and self-custody. Use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Get yourself the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition wallet. Three Bitcoin companies, one Bitcoin wallet. Keep this as simple as you can. Keep your head down, keep stacking and enjoy this episode with John Vallis. Okay, Lauren, put your game face on. We've got John Vallis. Okay, yes. Yeah. Hey, Get him up. Long uh, time. Hi. How are you? Yeah. Good, you? It's good. It's good. It's good to speak to you again. You've been crushing it lately. <laughs> What's your question for John? Okay, so my question is, um, since uh, you're part of the Bitcoin family, um, mm-hmm. I got a question for you. What with your, like, like if you were going to be an if you're an uncle, what would your name be if you're an uncle? Oh right. So okay. So do do, do you get what she's saying? Because uh, I got John. Um, you got uncle, uncle Chad, Chad uncle, uncle Badders, oh, Uncle Badders, yeah. Uncle Jeff, Auntie <laughs> yeah. Stacy, yeah. Uncle Max. Right. So yeah, you, I don't you, think you, I don't think you want to crown uncle, John an uncle, but <laughs> I don't think uncles usually give themselves a name though, right? Usually it's like. You know, usually it just emerges in your mind, like something about them. So I don't know if I can answer that one for you. That's going to have to, that's going to have to be on you. Hmm. Well, you're going to have to think now. (laughs) Daddy always has the best. Oh, you, you want me to, you want me to crown? Yes. Yeah. Let's see what names you have up your sleeves. Well, I, Uncle John, I mean, it, it's got to be, hasn't it, really? I mean, just keep it simple. Why, why mess with that? John is like, a very um, strong. Uncle Badders. Oh, wait, that's from me. 
right? That's yeah. not his real name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Uncle Badders and um, and um, Chad, Uncle Chad. Yeah, Uncle that's Chad. That's also not his real name. I know. So you want a nickname? You want you want yes. a nickname for yes. John? Yes. Oh, I see. Uh, oh, you're gonna have to leave that one with me. Um, can't be, can't be forced, Lauren. You gotta, you gotta let that one marinate and see what comes to you. Yeah, it can't be forced. You, it's, it, yeah. No, maybe when we get to meet John and hang out with him, we'll do something crazy, and you'll always remember him for that act, and he becomes <laughs> that, that nickname, like um, Uncle Ice Bath or something, because he does that crazy <laughs> shit all the time. <laughs> So other than that, did you have any other questions, any deeper questions that you uh, wanted to, to bounce off Uncle Blank? Um, <laughs> uh, Anything about Bitcoin springing to mind? No? I mean, again, don't force it. Lauren, I have a question for you. Sure. How is your stacking going? You don't tell, I don't want you to tell me how much you have. I just want you to tell me how your stacking is going. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really been buying sets. I, I want to buy it, but I just keep on forgetting because I'm watching TikTok all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lauren, that's unacceptable. All right. You're dropping the ball here. This is a small window of opportunity. You need to capitalize, all right? How much are you getting in your allowance? My, my, my oh, there is no allowance. Oh, oh. so how do you get I, money? I, I, we we I try to incentivize. You, no, we try to incentivize them to work for their money, mate. It is. I mean, I wash the car for money because <laughs> that's fun. Like spraying a car with yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. The way that they would. Um, He's like, Daddy, can I wash the car for money? Yeah, sure. They go and turn the hose pipe on for two seconds and then come back and say, right, I'm done. Where's my 10 bucks? Uh, you know, that's that's the kind Daddy, of Daddy, still owe me into 10 years for the potatoes. You peeled four potatoes each and they're yes. looking for 10 euros for that. <laughs> what? Lauren, why are you asking Dad for euros? You should be you should because be demanding that's for your it labor. Was, it was that's... two euros each for the potatoes. So you owe me and Sophia 10 euros. Lauren, what I'm saying is, why are you asking for euros and not satoshis for your payment? Mm-hmm. You got to find a way to stack, and that's your way. Everyone there sells their labor for satoshis. That's that's the best way. That's the that's the only thing you should be selling your your time for, Lauren. Is satoshis? Mm. Oh, I'll pay if you stop talking about Bitcoin all the time. No can do. <laughs> that is not that is not gonna happen. I mean, like, I like that he's talking about Bitcoin, but when he talks about it too much, we just wanna I'm never gonna stop, Lauren. It's too important. <laughs> I mean, I know it's important, but sometimes you're just like Yeah. It's a wall of content at home, John. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like, Lauren, I can't really empathize. <laughs> John talks about it all the time as well, you know. I tried yeah. to have a with nice this... I tried to have a nice casual dinner with my aunt last night and it just turned into 4 hours of me talking about Bitcoin and that was basically the entire meal. So I got I'm, I have the same sickness as your dad unfortunately. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, hopefully it works out in the end for us. 
Well, right, anyway, do you want to say good, uh, uh, yeah, good night to John? Thank you. Bye. And, See you, Lauren. Uh, Uncle Blank. <laughs> That's going to stick Bye. now. <laughs> See you, Lauren. Uncle Blank. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Look out for memes and, and Twitter DMs on, on that one. Yeah, you've uh, ruined my uncle name forever. I'm going to come, I'm gonna no, have to we'll, come and do something really extraordinary when I come for a visit to overcome. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, when you're allowed, man, when you're allowed, you know, you, yeah. you're, you're welcome anytime. So how's it going, brother? It's, it's, it's great to see you. I, I listen to your show, as you know, probably more than, than any other. So your voice is always in my ear. But, you know, it's, it's always great to chat with you. And over this last year of myself doing this podcast, um, you've been a great help and uh, confidant. So, yeah, great to have you back on the show. Well, as you know, it's always, you know, it's great to be here. It's always a pleasure to chat. And I was just thinking today that the ice is starting to melt on the pond uh, at the cabin. And I recall last year around this time, you know, we I was sitting on the pond with my sister having a few beers and we were talking to you then and i can't believe a year has gone by since that time so and especially you know bitcoin years especially right i mean bitcoin years are like you know they seem like they're five times as long as a, a regular year so you've been crushing it i had you and max hillebrand in my ear last night uh when i was driving great to hear the two of you i love max and it's always great to hear his perspective and yeah, you've you've been doing an awesome job. I'm I'm happy to see all the success success you're having. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And I do remember that that beer that you had on the ice with your sister, and that was just as we had gone into lockdown, and you guys were just trying to get your head around it for the family business and yeah. trying to think of ideas of of what to do because you know it, it's tough if if your family business is a restaurant or uh, two or three different locations, right? Then how's, how are things, man? Like, you know, if it's not too deep a rabbit hole to go into. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I can just say briefly, um, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. Uh, and the ax is yet to fall on certain things. But, you know, you, you, you try to avoid your mind going, taking it to its like logical conclusion and just dealing with what's on the plate now and, and just hoping that things change or, or something like that. But, you know, and I'm, I'm the least involved of all the family members, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a super challenging time for them all. And, and they're not through the, through it yet. I mean, we're, we're in that cycle of lockdown, partial open up, lockdown, partial open up, you know, so we shall see how things play out from here, but there's just been, uh, there's been so much carnage and there, uh, you know, there hasn't been that much support uh, or not complete enough support from the overlords that have locked everything down. So it's a shit show like it is everywhere. And it's, you know, it's probably the worst business to be in during all this, but that's just how the cookie crumbles. It must be so difficult for you, mate, to be so close to that because obviously it's family business and you to be a Bitcoiner and to see what we see and the no. thing is well i was just gonna say like the thing is is you gotta be careful how much uh you know like i can't you gotta be careful how much you engage in the like the bitcoin or conversations with them because like 
in a certain sense, it's not relevant. Like they're just trying to go in every day and stay alive, right? Like they don't need to hear about the financial system crumbling, you know, the next few years and, you know, this big change that's coming or, or however we generally characterize it. So, you know, they've all, uh, I've, I've talked to them all as much as possible and they all, you know, stack. And, you know, my dad especially has really taken the orange pill and he, he enjoys having those conversations, but he's got to balance that with continuing to focus on, on the business and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think like all Bitcoiners, like whether you're involved in a family business or you just go to, go to normie work every day, or you have to interact in normie world in every day, like it's bizarre, right? I mean, it's, it's such a obvious divergence from like where we are and the things we think about and the, how much we attempt to inform ourselves about everything that's going on versus the lack of that in the people that we interact with on a regular basis. And, you know, that's why I think a lot of us feel rather isolated in our meat space worlds. And then we come on to Twitter and podcasts and stuff. And we're like, Oh fuck, these are my, these are my people. Like, thank, thank God they exist because like, these are people that are thinking the way I'm thinking, seeing the world, the way I'm seeing it and, and striving for similar things. And that's just so therapeutic from like a daily life point of view, because otherwise, like, I mean, I'm at the point where, Look, there's most people are lovely. Most people are well-meaning, but this year and and the way people are acting and behaving and responding to all this really lays bare a lot of the what I would call, and a lot of people might think this is exaggeration, but like I generally think it's like psychological pathology that's been uh, revealed as a result of how people have responded to all this, and if not psychological pathology, like laid bare what their principles and values and ideologies and philosophies truly are. And it's not a good picture. And, it, and so it's increasingly difficult for me to spend time around those people because I'll one, either get frustrated or two, I'll come off as that crazy, you know, person who's like our views are so divergent. It's almost impossible that you, you don't come off crazy as much as we might try to be like calm and articulate and balanced and whatever, you know, it's just normie world is a scary place, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, uh, you know, I, it's best for us to do our thing in this realm and attract them in it like passively rather than, you know, butting heads with everybody we see because we're so divergent on so many things right now. I know exactly what you're saying. And everything you said there is, is so true. Yes. Like uh, I, I had a complete restoration of faith in humanity when, when we traveled the world as a family for over two years, right? that that changes your perceptive on the world and perception, excuse me, on the world. And now I'm being challenged again because of the amount of Karening that you see and the amount of just blind faith and the amount of just you know you know just drinking from the kool-aid whatever the nation state says and you know yeah i'm gonna wear a mask yeah fine that's all good no no all right fine yeah i'll wear two yeah that's great yeah i'll double mask up that sounds that seems legit you know in the uk you've got the you've got a situation now where where boomers are going in to get their vaccines and then they're sending selfies of themselves to their friends and their family i've got the vaccine i've still got a mask on but hey, look, I got a sticker on my lapel, and I'm like, "What are you twelve? Like, you know, <laughs> what? What is going on? Like, they give you stickers too? Like, this is re 
retarded. How yeah, far and, have we fallen? Yeah, and it's so easy to look at all that and say, you know, this stinks. There's an agenda. There's a conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. And there may very well be, not that we would probably ever be able to figure out whether there is or not, but I just, I see this behavior from like your average person and all it takes is what they've heard on the news for the last year. And I really just think it's incompetence and then the incompetence creates an insecurity and that insecurity demands an authority to satisfy it. And so anyone on any level of power fills that desire for authority, right? Fills that desire to assuage that insecurity. And so that's how all this happens. That's how it all snowballs. You know, like it doesn't need to be a big nefarious complex conspiracy agenda thing. Like it's literally just incompetence inspires insecurity that requires authority to, to assuage it. And rather than those people saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to minimize the incompetence. I'm going to try to learn. I'm going to try to increase my understanding of whatever it is that that gap is. I'm going to go the exact opposite direction. And the greater my incompetence, the more I will implicitly or unconsciously demand an authority. And that's always the place where authoritarians and tyrants and totalitarians and, and useful idiots or, or well-intentioned idiots fill the gap. And then when, you, when, when that happens in systems that are so centralized as all of ours around the world are, then their incompetence and then their, their authoritarian tendencies and their, their narcissism and then their desire for control all just gets pushed down those centralized systems and it affects all of us in the most, you know, in, in egregious ways if you're at all liberty-minded or independently-minded at all. And so that's what I see everywhere I go. I see incompetence and I see people demanding for authority to assuage or relieve them of, of the insecurity that is generated by that incompetence. And nothing could be more repulsive to me because I, I just, I don't accept blind incompetence and, and acquiescence and acceptance of the way things are like my, the nature of how I've always been is I want to know why things are the way they are. Like, I know I can't understand everything. Right. But like, I want to at least make an attempt and then I want to put it through my own filter and then I want to make a decision for myself. And I don't see that anywhere really, but the Bitcoin space, you know, like it's, 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 it's how Bitcoiners seem to orient themselves as well. And everywhere else it's either, you know, less like that or completely non-existent. And that's what terrifies me today. Like sitting around having dinner with people or having conversations like, I, I see it so plainly. And then I, and then if you have at all an appreciation for history, you can see how that very approach to, you know, understanding things or approach to certainty or approach to security has led to disastrous outcomes throughout the course of history. Um, be they well-intentioned or completely, you know, bold-faced, tyrannical from the get-go. It's like they slip into that gap and people don't understand how they feed into it and how they're pulled along into it and then how they end up contributing to it uh, by, you know, a variety of different mental gymnastics and stuff like that. But and so that that means people don't appreciate um, the importance of maintaining the integrity of certain absolutes and principles and values in society. 
Like, I, you know, like I'm not out here trying to convince everyone to become a anarcho-capitalist Bitcoiner, but I am saying like you need to appreciate the value of absolutes in structuring uh, a, a secure and, and you know, fair and free society. And like, you know, one of them is, let's say, freedom of movement, freedom of association. And people today uh, just think that all of those things are on the table for being dismissed should a sufficient cause come along. And a sufficient cause will always come along. Someone will make a case that it's a sufficient cause or you will make a case out of your fear that it's a sufficient cause. And if that happens, if we, and if we, we set the precedent of not having any absolutes, we dev devolve into this like relativism where anything can be, anything can be explained, anything can be rationalized. And I think history proves that that's a, a dangerous place to be in. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think that when I, when I go out now, I just see people that are so deluded and they don't even know it. And they'll, ve they'll vehemently and even violently push back on you for even suggesting so. And that's, that's a tricky spot. So, because they want to uphold the narrative, right? They they want to feel as though they're doing their part for the nation state. That that that's what I see. Well, I think it's even more than that. It's that that narrative is what they've used to construct their worldview and their perspective. And so, attacking the narrative is actually attacking their worldview. And all of our worldviews is what gives us confidence and security to move forward in the world. It's a big chaotic world out there. It necessitates us developing a worldview and a perspective in order to orient ourselves properly and move forward in a, in a productive or, or at least a, a, in a manner that's not paralyzed by uncertainty and fear. fear. So that's what the, our worldviews and perspectives are for. And, when, when, and if you're not careful how you construct it, and if you're not receptive to it being changed or to evolving with you know new information or open to new information that you can integrate to help the evolution of your perspective and worldview then you have one one that's rigid and that's bad because the world is constantly changing and two if someone if information if you're confronted with information that threatens your worldview i.e th via threatening uh, or a difference of opinion on the narratives on which it's constructed then you're going to feel a tremendous sense of insecurity and you're going to resist that, you know, vehemently. And like I said, either, you know, it could be violently or it could just be, you know, you know, whatever, whatever way people resist that kind of change. And I think that's a pathological uh, way to approach con constructing a worldview and to, and to ultimately living. But that's what dominates today. You know, people attach themselves to these narratives that they have no idea about. You ask anybody about any aspect of anything going on today, and nobody will have any other information other than the very simple, narrow narrative that's been passed down in the mainstream media, right? So it's not like it's predicate. It's not like it's built on a solid foundation. It's built on a very shaky foundation, but nevertheless, it's used to construct the thing of the utmost importance, which is how you see the world. And how you move through the world, and if you challenge that, you you know that's a that's a massive threat to people, and that's why, like you know, to borrow a metaphor from uh, the Matrix, right? Like everyone who hasn't been unplugged is an agent, right? Everyone who who doesn't yet see the danger in that 
will be the one who defends it the most. It doesn't need to be some big conspiracy from Davos or the world, you know, from World Health Organization of these evil, sinister people. The people that you interact with in your day-to-day life will guard that more than anybody. And they'll demand, the, like I said before, they'll leave the vacuum open and demand that an authority slide into that in order to help bring security and confidence and understanding and coherence to their worldview, right? They don't understand that the problem is their worldview. That's what creates all the problems, right? The, the, the people that slide into those positions are by and large, just opportunists. And like I said, they, they might be just idiot opportunists. And then you get an idiot at the helm of things. Or of course, they may have more nefarious purposes and they, they, you know, they have more sinister or more power hungry or more tyrannical ideas in mind. But nevertheless, the, the, the space was left open for them by you or by all of us. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't appreciate about what's going on. You remember back in March that we were talking about this, and I think I brought up the question to you, like, does, you know, it, we, I think we were just like a week or two. It was brand new. Like the whole COVID thing was brand new. I think everyone had gone out and done their stocking up shopping and whatever. And I, I think I said to you something along the lines of, how does this feel to you? Like, th- does this feel like, you know, it seems too coordinated globally for all of a sudden everyone to be, you know, believing that the same thing and we're all acting in a certain way. And I even asked you, you know, do you remember like all of a sudden the Hong Kong riots, they weren't talked about anymore. And the, uh, the concentration camps in China weren't talked about anymore. There was about, we listed between ourselves about six or seven things. All of a sudden, we don't need to talk about them anymore. This thing is here. Let's deal with this. And I think we even were talking about, it just seems very convenient. And is this going to lead to the excuse of we're going to have to print money to get ourselves out of this. Now, (laughs) looking back, we have hindsight on our side now. What's the feel for you personally and what's going on in Canada? Because I know you're stuck there. You've been stuck there for over a year. You would much rather be in Thailand with with your partner. What's, um, you may have dropped out from my side. I don't know if you can still hear me. Okay, we we are back, and like two podcast pros, we you know the show must go on, John. <laughs> and uh, I don't know should should I edit anything there, or in the spirit of uh, you know keeping things as natural as possible and hat tip Marty Ben edit fuck all. Well, you 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 well you have to put the two audio tracks together, I guess. But um, <laughs> but what what you were asking was like back when it all kicked off, you were kind of like how how are you feeling? Like how what does this smell like? You know all this COVID stuff. And I think my answer then was the same as it is now. And it's like, it's impossible to know what secret agendas there may be. And even if you did, 
let's say you knew for sure, like someone gave you incontrovertible controvertible evidence. Would your approach to fixing the problems of the world be any different? For me, they wouldn't. For me, like I wouldn't then try to go through the legal route of like beating the bad guys. I would Bitcoin as hard as I can. That's how I think we solve the world's biggest problems. And so like, I don't spend much time on trying to figure out like who's behind what's going on. Is it, do I think regardless of initial intentions, intentions, do I think it'll be leveraged to maximal effect by, by people in power? Absolutely. Right. Like, you know, where currency is about to take a major dump or where, where financial systems about to do whatever, and they're going to use this as a scapegoat to introduce, you know, some other system, central bank, digital currencies, new Bretton Woods, whatever, hundred uh, percent. So it's super convenient, but we, you know, you can never know true motivations or causes. And I don't think it's all that uh, relevant in the end. So it's, it's not something I, you know, spend that much time thinking about. Um, but, you know, on that point that we were saying earlier about just kind of why this is mostly, I think, due to people and their attitude and how they construct their worldview and not like big nefarious schemes. I'm sure it's also not lost on, you know, the relative minority of people around the world who are like evil, let's say, like bad guys, nefarious actors. Two things about this, that if they didn't know them before, surely they know them now. One the power of centralized institutions in our society today is absolute. You can get people to stay in their homes for as long as you want and lose their job and lose their livelihood and they will do basically fucking nothing. Okay, that's a very juicy, you know, that'll make your mouth water if you're a bad guy. The other thing is that people are so uninterested in understanding what's really going on that you can tell them, almost anything, or, or at the very least, constructing a simplistic narrative to get them to do what you want is very simple, right? Because they are not going to go above and beyond to challenge the, the dominant narrative. So if you can co-opt the, co the dominant narrative, then you're gravy. So those two things, the ease of co-opting the narrative and the, the power of these centralized structures, I'm sure if you're a bad guy, it makes you mouthwater. What's the chicken, what's the egg? hard to tell. And again, I think the answer is Bitcoin. So who gives a fuck really, but <laughs> it's, it's hard not to confront these questions, you know, as we, as we exist in the world today. And this starts at school, man. I know I go on about it, but I see it firsthand. This is what school is for. This is the nation state's powerful weapon because it takes the kids from a very early age and it indoctrinates them. It nationalizes them. It breeds patriotism. It's, it's so damn bad. And now what we have here, especially in France, which is a very nationalistic nation, we've got kids from the age of six wearing a mask all day long. This is eight hours a day, mate. And this is just like, what are you doing to these kids? That The psychological effect of that, if you're an all, in an authoritative regime of a system, which is, again, the, the, the system is a centralized school system. The teacher, the one adult in the room, has ultimate power, totalitarian, authoritarian power, and you are now sat there, and you're sat there with a mask on? You're muzzled. So Bitcoiners, right now, we got our work cut out, mate, because they are going after that generation hard. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I think we... It, 
and again, I don't think most of this is necessarily intentional, but it, it's beyond debate that children are children are trained or learn to acquiesce and follow orders from day one. And like, as a parent, I'm sure you know this, like part of that is necessary, right? You need to have guardrails and parameters for the proper development of your children. But like any form of order, and I'm dipping into the Peterson uh, world here, it can become tyrannical, right? You can overdo the order. You need to leave space for the flourishing of the individual human spirit and imagination and exploration and novelty and all of that kind of stuff. And I think culture today in whatever institution you want to pick, education, finance, you know, uh, whatever else exists, science, we're finding too much order and it's stifling the creative expression of the individual or the organization or the science or the field of study or whatever. And it's able to be done because of the, the structure on which all of these things operate is able to push the values and the ideology of whoever sits atop it down to everybody else. So right or wrong, dis agree or disagree, if it's held at the top of that you know, structure, it gets pushed down to everybody else and, and you can't do anything about it because implicit in the structure is like an unsaid social agreement that this is what the structure should be, right? That's always kind of the, the, the strength and the stickiness of the status quo. Things are the way they are because that's how they're supposed to be, right? So that's why it's so difficult to challenge them. And so again, to bring it back to Bitcoin, that's why we challenge it from the very foundation, not fighting any of these useless battles, higher order, you know, like somewhere in the middle of those structures. You know, I'm not going to fight the teacher at my kid's school. I'm not going to fight, you know, the scientist who publishes the journal Nature for having whatever kind of bias or whatever. You go right to the foundation. Where, where is all this stemming from? Stemming from the fucking money, Right. And if we fix the money, we dramatically improve the structure <laughs> to change the, uh, the saying. And, uh, and so that, you know, again, that, that's, that's the most meaningful battle. And that's why I try to re like, relieve myself of the concern and frustration of fighting higher order battles, because obviously they're infinite. And if you, if you get stuck in on them, they can be extremely frustrating. And it's hard not to fight them because like a lot of them are relevant in your day-to-day -day life. Right. Like I'm if we go out in the world today, like you're not going to fight the gendarme or whatever for being being past curfew. That's not a battle you want to fight. That's going to introduce way too much disruption into your own life. And it's going to stifle your freedom even further. So you decide, OK, you know, I'm just going to put up with that for now. And I'm going to fight a more important battle and hope that that resolves itself in the course of time. And as much as like that can be an uncomfortable approach sometimes, because we never like to feel like we're giving ground, right? We never want to like run away from a battle that we actually think is important and meaningful. You do have to choose your battles, right? And I think Bitcoiners are choosing the most important one. And now that's not to say that we, we may not have to choose other battles throughout the course of how, how all this unfolds. Like, you know, things push may come to shove on, on, on things as they're, they're unfolding, but I'm hopeful that the change that Bitcoin inspires on the, on the individual level and then on a structural level are such that we can, you know, we can affect really important change at a, you know, what is ultimately a fairly rapid rate. I mean, look, look how much people have changed in the, in the 12 years of Bitcoin's history. Billion, uh, uh, Bitcoin has a trillion dollar market cap. It's, it's, it's very 
much developing into a parallel economy, even if the economy of that is mostly just people siphoning off wealth right now. That's, that's the foundation of a, a, a new economy. And it gives people a greater degree of freedom. So like the more that happens, the more people will be able to express that freedom. And, you know, I think, I think that's the way to go. Now, if things deteriorate too fast, I mean, maybe other uh, measures might have to be taken, but, you know, we're, we're hoping that, hoping that's not the case, I guess. You said you were listening to uh, to my interview with Max Hillebrand last night and something that's been, excuse me, <clears throat> that he said um, towards the end of that chat, you know, this is war, entrepreneurs are under attack, really, really kind of sat with me. And mm. I, I've been thinking about that more and more. And I've been listening to the sovereign individual, see the book over your, over your shoulder. And I want to definitely touch on some of that. Uh, and actually this, this is a nice segue into it because they talk about entrepreneurs and finding different jurisdictions. I, I, I try to think, you know, entrepreneurs being under attack from when, from first principles, when did that actually start happening? And again, man, this goes all the way back to pretty much, you know, you're five or six years old, you have creativity beaten out of you. And the whole dream, right? The American dream, we're all sold. You know, that is a global dream now. The 2.4 kids, the, you know, the 30 to 40 year old um, year long career, go work for a big firm. There's nothing entrepreneurial about that at all. So I, I just feel that we, we need, and we're seeing it with, with Bitcoiners, now they are able to free themselves from their fiat existence to go out and, and, and actually find what it is they want to do and find their place within this ecosystem. And I get DMs about this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. So I'm very bullish in the fact that Bitcoiners will find those entrepreneurial skills that they probably didn't even realize they had if we'd have just been left alone to become the people that we truly were meant to be without all of the systematic bullshit getting in the way for the last 15, 30 years, however old you happen to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, people are, people are just choosing to opt into this system and, and with it comes a lot of implications. I mean, and you could almost say like, we're all entrepreneurs. We all sell our labor, right? Maybe we don't, you know, maybe that's a a poor characterization, but I know what you're saying. And and I agree. And, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that people are identifying this ecosystem or this parallel system for what it is and making those choices and then making the requisite changes to their worldview and their habits and their behavior and their ambitions and you know their intellect and and base of knowledge and skill set in order to do so like that's the heroic journey it's like saying you know i've been led astray and i've led myself astray i need to seek you know a new world basically and who do I have to be to operate in that new world and to succeed in that new world? And I think that's why we part of the reason why we see such dramatic changes when people end up, you know, going down the rabbit holes because they're in this new paradigm, they're in this new world. All the rules are different, right? And all the incentives are different. Okay, what does that mean for me? Clearly, it means change. What changes does it mean? And what we're seeing is people change pretty dramatically, and I think they're changing in a lot of similar ways. And one of them, which I love, is 
honesty and genuineness and principled behavior. Again, not across the board. Yes, we can put, you know, show examples of people that, that haven't changed in that manner. But I think by and large, like, we, like I've seen a trend of that. And that's awesome. Like when people come into this system and they, they, the value and importance of those attributes are amplified. And that's great. You know, because, you know, some and some of the shittier attributes that you may have either one gotten away with in the former system or were directly incentivized, get muted, right, get diminished. And that's great, too. And that happens on enough levels over enough time and you become like a fairly different person. And that's what we're seeing, you know, to the point where I can I can actually confidently use the term transformation and not just like some changes, you know, like any and I keep coming back to this and I, you know, I almost hate to keep coming back to it, but like even sailor, like that's a transformation. That's not just a guy who found another like Facebook and he's going to make, you know, a few billion dollars off an investment. That's a transformation. Right. And, and so I love digging into exactly why that, why that is, but you know, for the sake of this discussion, I, I agree that like, you know, people just uh, if, if they, you know, all they need is that to, th to start thinking that something is, is wrong. Like something is very wrong perhaps and start looking for a solution and get hooked into something that, that leads them down to the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And, you know, uh, is we we're, we're both really close to the changes that that, uh, inspires and that process that takes place. And it's wonderful. I mean, I can't imagine the world today, uh, without that option for people. I mean, it would be absolutely hopeless. And, you know, with what Max said about, first of all, when he said, this is war, like, I love how Max thinks. I love how he delivers his, his thoughts. I'm a huge fan of Max. Um, and, you know, that's not irrational framing. Um, it's, it's scary framing for a lot of people that may not understand what Max means or the nuance there. But like, this is something that even I've had to grapple with over the last couple of years is like, you kind of just grow up and assume like the challenges of your life are going to be getting a good job and starting a family and making sure that you can provide for your family and do some of the things you like doing and maybe have some toys and maybe have some social status. And that's pretty much like, yeah, that's, that's the main goals in life. Coming to grips with the fact that we're genuinely living in revolutionary times. Now, does that mean you know, war tragedy of the order that's, you know, happened in the past? Or does that mean a revolution of a different kind? I don't know. But just accepting that, like, when I envision the future of my life, envisioning like really soft, easy, like everything is probably the, is probably not managing expectations properly. Uh, and what I, you know, I think realizing that there's a lot of converging revolutions across the technological landscape, of course, this one being, I think, the biggest, uh, and it's going to have disruptive effects. And how, you know, how are you going to surf that wave? And it could, you know, it, and, you know, it, it forces the emergence of the things that you most care about, or like the most genuine aspects of yourself. And, and this is, always the case of the darkest times from the darkest times emerge the the heroes that we remember the most right because the intensity of the forces placed on them force them to reveal the diamond-like nature of certain elements of their their character that could not be destroyed or burned off or 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 
you know, whatever by the negative or evil forces of the time. Right. And I guess the, the most, I guess the archetype or the biggest, the most impactful instantiation of this is like the martyr, right? Someone who's literally willing to die for what they believe in. And if we live in revolutionary times and if we are surrounded by, um, you know, forces of evil to be a little bit too dramatic with it, but you, you know what I mean? Um, I think that anyone who, I think that will force us to reveal the strength of our character and, and the different elements that constitute our character. And I don't like that because, you know, we don't, we don't like to be tested. You know, we'd like to just assume that we're virtuous and honest and principled and courageous and never have it be tested because that's more comfortable for us. And that leads to an easier life. And we get to believe in our own delusion and happy days. Right. Uh, but I don't think those are the times that we're going to exist in. And I don't want to be overly doom and gloom because I don't know what the shape of like our revolutionary times are going to be. But I have a, a creeping feeling that those elements of myself that I think are there and I think are genuine, I'm probably going to have to prove it. And part of me is like, fuck, you know, because I don't want to do that. But the other part of me is like, there's no other way. I, I won't not do that. So, you know, yes, it's a war on, on entrepreneurship, but you know, that more broadly entrepreneurship more broadly is independent minds looking out at the world and saying, how can it be better? Uh, and having the freedom to pursue that and the emergent outcome of which is discovering a collective truth or refining it further and further. Uh, and so when that gets cut off, when everyone becomes a cog in the machine, when everyone becomes identified with their role and rigidly identified with their worldview and attached to the security and authority of the structure they're in, you get the opposite of that. You get the opposite of finding truth. You get mass delusion. You, you get further and further away from truth and you get closer and closer to really, uh, you get closer and closer to um, outcomes well, that, they are the, that are the antithesis of truth, which you could call evil, you could call, you know, uh, darkness, you could call delusion, whatever. But, you know, that's basically, that's kind of how I see it. Call it communism if you want. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> not, not many better examples of evil and bad outcomes out there. So what do you feel about, this is what kind of, I'm trying to think, what comes next? What's the next six to 18 months going to look like for us, for us as Bitcoiners? And excuse me again, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, mate. Um, and sure, we put up with FUD. We've had the FUD. We can ride those waves now. And again, I, I bring this back to the sovereign individual when they're talking about this, this, inevitable change this kind of point where the nation state realizes you know the, the gig is up you, you can't just keep tax farming and milking this cash cow of these individuals who are now realized that they can live in cyberspace and they can bank in cyberspace you know whatever analogy you want to use 
my fear is that that narrative is going to be so hard that when this ultimately falls over, this house of cards, this Ponzi pyramid that is fiat, the easiest place they're going to be able to point the finger is at the Bitcoiners. You know, the losers blame the winners. That's what happens at that exact turning point. How do you think about that? And how do you think we can get ahead of that if we can? Yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot. And to, to put a you know capstone on the previous rant there, like I am hopeful. And, you know, I could, because things can go any which way, I suppose. And like <laughs> the more time I spend in Normyland, my hopefulness meter just starts to wane. But, uh, you know, I'm hopeful because this thing is something that's good and useful and has a transformative effect and is open to everybody. Like, yes, if like people who get in earlier will accrue greater benefit, but that's not really the point of why this thing is important. You know, it's a, it's a benefit of being early, but that's not what Bitcoin is about in 50 years or hundred years. That's not what, you know, Bitcoin is going to be about. So it, it'll, it, it's to the extent that one of its features is allowing people to be extricated from their situation of, you know, poverty or deprivation or despair because it's given them greater financial security, like that feature will wane over time. Um, but the, the primary feature of being a way for people to store and transfer their wealth without anyone intermediating that and out, without anybody corrupting that relationship, that will still be there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that like when those narratives start emerging, uh, you know, as people like Bitcoin will just be there be like, well, it's not shut off to you. You can, you can go right in. Like if you're so mad at it for winning, why don't you just jump ship and join the winning team? It's pretty easy to do. And so, you know, that's my hopeful side. Um, I know, but as you say, like, I know there's going to, there's a lot of saltiness already, and there's going to be a lot more saltiness and, and people are going to cut themselves off from it. They'll cut their, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face sort of thing. And uh, yeah, there'll be lots of reasons to attack Bitcoiners, you know, energy FUD, you're toxic, you're misogynist, you're white guys, you're like fill in the blank. But, you know, I, the bigger it gets and the more people there are in Bitcoin and the more voices there are, like it's, I think it's harder, it'll become harder and harder to attack. Like the beautiful thing about truth is you don't really have to defend it. Like all you have to do is reveal it and it does the rest of the work. And with something like Bitcoin that has its properties, right? Open to everybody, rules, but not, not rulers, you know, you know, can't be stopped. You know, you're a, a, a tool, an instrument to preserve your sovereignty in the world like all the things that we know to the, that it is when those are explicitly stated or appre uh, apprehended or comprehended by people like you really this is one of the beautiful things about bitcoin it reveals you know the truth of the people that interact with it so like you've got to show your hand as a tyrant if you're going to be explicitly against against something with those characteristics Right. Like if you're an American politician and knowing what the American Constitution was based on and phenomenal document, obviously things have gone way away from it. But like in, in theory, pretty great, you know, probably the best, you know, 
attempt at structuring a society the world has ever known. Um, and if that's what you claim to be a representative for, can you really be outspokenly, explicitly against something that literally embodies a lot of those principles of freedom and liberty and sovereignty and individualism? Like, I don't think you can. And so this is why Bitcoiners get such a kick out of the way people attack Bitcoin and whether it's Nouriel or fucking Peter Schiff or a politician or whatever, Bitcoin reveals the malice, the insecurity, the incompetence, the, the egotism, the narcissism of the people that attack it because like, because it is what it is with, you know, with, without dispute, right? Like it's just, it, it, it's not attempting to be anything that it's not like what it is, is so open and bare that like it, it forces, I mean, it, like anyone who interacts with it, they're the ones who be, who get revealed, right? The, the, the things about them that aren't truthful or that aren't absolute get revealed because you can't change anything in this thing. You can't make an argument that it is or is not something like it is just so bare of what it is and it's so unchangeable as what as what it is it's and and this is also the flip side not just revealing you know the let's say the quote-unquote imperfections of the people that come in contact with it but this is why i think one of the reasons why people change when they interact with bitcoin because you come in in contact with thing this thing that has all these these attributes so explicitly has them and because it's immutable only you can change like only your worldview and only your perspective of it can change because you're not going to change it it's a one-way street and i think that's part of the reason why people are forced to change and the people that are stubborn enough not to change not to you know make the accommodations to their worldview or their perspective to accommodate this new paradigm shift this new this novel thing it, it's obvious you know and 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 this is, again, this is why the, these people that we always kind of use as punching bags emerge. So I'm hoping that um, the more, the bigger this gets and the more people um, that interact with it and see the value in it, you know, the, just the harder it, it is going to be to mischaracterize it. Uh, and if that's the case, I have hope. But uh, along the lines with the sovereign individual thesis, thesis it's entirely possible that like there's a bifurcation of society in the world, right? There's going to be jurisdictions that are, are just see the benefit too much of like saying, Hey guys, no taxes, total individual liberty and freedom, like blah, 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 all that stuff come with your, your capital and your IP and whatever the hell else. And like live here. I think, I think there will be jurisdictional competition and Bitcoiners will be the first to leverage that. But I think the, the states as they exist today, some of them will remain because a lot of people won't want or be able to take advantage of change or are closed-minded to change or whatever. And they'll be too uninformed to know the difference basically. And so they'll be the ones that, you know, remain trapped in the, in the far less free jurisdictions around the world and how that dynamic plays out. I don't know, but like the Italian city state model or the Greek city state model, that kind of thing where, you know, you had like, the Ottoman Empire at the same time that you had Venice, you know, the, maybe there's a, uh, like a kind of parallel where there's still like these big global superpowers, but there's these bastions of freedom and prosperity and, and peace or whatever. And they're more or less, 
left alone. Like, you know, who, who knows how all this is going to play out, but it could be something like that. But I, I, I don't, I can't imagine jurisdictions not feeling the pull. Like if you're fucking, if you're Bermuda, Jamaica, whatever, you got like a GDP of like 5 billion, $10 billion, like, and, and you have the space, why wouldn't you be like, I mean, it's no sweat off our ass to just, you know, uh, allow you to have more freedom and not have high taxes. So why don't you, you come here? And I just think that's going to play out, but I wish it would play out sooner because, <laughs> you know, there's not much of it in the world today. I know a lot of us are, are kind of asking the question, like where the fuck is freedom right now? You know, where, who, who where's the jurisdiction that's going to plant a flag and say, we're for freedom. Because I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing the answer to that question right now. I had an interesting interview with Eric Bryman from um, Prospera, who's uh, setting up. I, li- uh, I listened to it. It's awesome. I'm very much interested in visiting Rotan. And there's direct flights from Miami. I'm just saying, if you go into the conference, <laughs> you might want to check that out. And Eric might be even at the conference himself. So, But what you were saying about uh, Bitcoin shining a light on on a person's true character i've i've seen that as well i felt it you know it elevates like the morally sound and exposes the 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 morally corrupt or or the charlatans and it's it can't be ignored it's completely fascinating and to see to reference your tweet that i saw this morning you or yesterday if i've got my timing right the interview with mike green Prof Plum. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know, these unbelievable. And, you know, he, he made a bit of a clown of himself on the, on the show with, with Nick Carter debating Nick, but what he was saying on this, this recent one, you know, just left me speechless. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, with, with him, one of the things that's revealed, I think is that it's so clear that in these discussions, and we are back, John. John, take it away if you remember the question. <laughs> well, I remember. You were basically uh, asking about, and sorry for the fucking computer crashes. I'll have to look into that. But um, looking at you know, how Bitcoin reveals truth in people. And I was just saying that it, Mike so obviously has a motive of um, diminishing or mischaracterizing or like his intent or his motive or his desire is for Bitcoin not to be what we're all claiming it is, right? And that's very clear in the way he arguments about it. And like, of course, we're all on the side of Bitcoin. So we're on the pro side and that's, you know, we that's how we characterize what we say about it. But I think we're all intellectually honest enough to be like, well, first that's kind of how we got here is trying to poke holes in this. So, but I think one of the things that characterizes a lot of the, the debates that Bitcoiners have, at least that I've heard is like, Bitcoiners are receptive to areas where there's uncertainty or there's possibility of failure or there's questions that still need to be answered. And that's why they come across as genuine because they're not just trying to advance uh, a motive, right? They're, or, or a narrative, like they're, they're trying to understand what this is and put forward their understanding. And of course there's gamesmanship and all that kind of stuff. But with Mike, it's like, it's very clear he's trying to make the case that it's no good. 
right? Not he's trying to understand it and let the truth emerge naturally as a result of that back and forth, which I think is the best way to go about things. He's trying to, to um, make the, actively make a case against it. And that's apparent. And that's just another example of Bitcoin revealing truth. Yeah, exactly, mate. Have you booked Jordan Peterson yet? This is what everybody wants to know. <laughs> uh, I have not booked Jordan Peterson. No, I can't say I can't say that I've booked Jordan Peterson. Where are you in this? Uh, can you give any? Uh, is is everything that's played out played out in full sight on Twitter, or do you guys have any kind of? Is there any juicy gossip you can you can impart? With the plebs. It looks hopeful. It looks hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that would be so amazing. And I'm not even down the Peterson rabbit hole. I've got some work to do there. And I'm listening to his book at the moment. Not not the uh, Maps of Meaning one. I listened to your discussion with... Oh, you got to get into and, that one. Man, I'm doing the 12 lessons. You know, I'm trying to go in a little bit uh, and, softer. And you, than... you got to go non-audiobook for Maps of Meaning because you're going to want to underline so much of it and you're going to want to re refer back to it. So you got to pick that one up, paperback. What are you reading right now? I'm reading his new book, 12 uh, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. Um, and... Yeah, I'm halfway through that. And it's it's good, but it's kind of a repackaging of Maps of Meaning. But Map, Maps of Meaning is 460 pages. It's really dense. And it's kind of repackaging it for a more mainstream audience and through the lens of like self-help. Mm -hmm. But that's not to diminish it. I mean, it's it takes like the, the best insights and one-liners and puts it in there and adds more, of course. And, and you know, what we've been talking about, what a lot of the... the Bitcoin conversation center around it. I mean, it is the individual. That's what this is all about. And what we're talking about, the problems of the world is by and large, like I was saying earlier about incompetence and desire for authority and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like those are individual problems that manifest themselves as that manifest themselves in the structures that we erect to, you know, order society as a result of being like in each of us. Right. So fix the money, fix the world. Yes. Fix the individual, fix the world even better. Right. Because the buck stops there. We just know how influential money is on the individual, but it's about the individual. So you fix the individual, you fix the world. And um, so that, you know, his book is largely about that. I mean, that's his one of his crusades is, is trying to give people the knowledge and the perspective and the insights necessary to construct the, like the most optimal approach to being, the most optimal approach to being an individual in this reality. That's what he tries to do with, with his writing and with his speaking. And I think it's awesome. I think he does a tremendous job. I think he's a very genuine, but also fallible and imperfect individual. Uh, and that's unavoidable for all of us, but it's also endearing at how vulnerable he is about that. Um, and yeah, so I, th I think it's great. And uh, I think a lot of people follow him for that reason. He's had a really positive effect on a lot of people's lives. And if he sinks his teeth into Bitcoin and his followers, uh, you know, as a result, uh, get exposure to Bitcoin, 
that's a match made in heaven. So we shall see. Yeah, absolutely. On a personal front, do you have any idea at all when you'll be able to, to get back to Thailand? No, man, it's like, I, I could get in there now and do the two week quarantine thing. Uh, but then I'm supposed to travel in June for some stuff. And so is it worthwhile to like, you know, quarantine for two weeks and then spend a, spend a month there and that sort of thing. And apparently in the fall, I think from September, uh, what I'm being told now is, you know, you can't enter the country without a vaccine passport. Um, so that changes things because I'm not, I'm not getting the vaccine. Um, but so we'll, we'll see, you know, that, that, that may be the case in a lot of places. So we'll have to wait and see how, how that plays out. But again, like the, the conversation about the sovereign individual thesis, it's like, I think everyone, a lot of people are asking like, where do you go? And like Miami and Texas are great. And they certainly seem to like preserve freedom and be a lot better than a lot of other places, but they're still inside the US, which is, you know, as an umbrella is pretty concerning in itself. But, you know, I think maybe we have to come to grips with the fact that like, things are going to be transient for a, a while. You know, as, as much as I'd love to like settle down and put in hard roots and just, you know, do that whole thing. Uh, if you're really looking to like, establish the greatest amount of freedom and be away from the, the lunacy, that that may be further off on the horizon than many of us would hope, you know, so it may may be a matter of being mobile. And, you know, Bitcoin obviously permits mobility. So, you know, that's that's one of its strengths. And that's one of the freedoms that it permits. So maybe that's how it's going to have to be. But I'm not sure about those uh, movements yet. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But I mean, I <laughs> with these vaccine passports, like I think it's also about like if you've if you had COVID, like you're also good, right? You don't need the vaccine and you have the antibodies or whatever. Like, I feel like we should all just go out and get it. You know, like I just go find someone with COVID and like, you know, <laughs> share a drink or do whatever the fuck you got to do and just get it. And then, you know, you're good to go for anywhere you want to go. It's strange, man. It really <laughs> is. And you're so right. They're going to push this thing so hard because they've got this button they can just keep pounding on, right? This COVID button, which can keep people split 50-50 down the middle. And this is the, you know, it's a government's wet dream to have that power. Oh, totally. But you know what? The, the, the flip side of all this is like, even, there's a lot of people against like, let's say forced vaccinations, quote unquote forced, you know, like it can't do certain things or whatever. You know, there was a, that march in the UK yesterday. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people in a lot of places that maybe not relative to the, the, the total, but like there's big numbers of people that are against, you know, this policy, should it be you know, extended everywhere. And most of them aren't Bitcoiners yet, but they certainly are resisting a, a very overt form of, you know, tyranny um, or unjust use of power. And maybe, you know, maybe there's uh, an alliance there. Maybe they end up coming to Bitcoin. It's great to see people, you know, uh, speak up and push back into, you know, to such things. So, 
you know, maybe that will give everything pause and there'll be this, the pendulum will swing a little bit in the other way. You know, it, it, it could get tangly, but at least there's some people that still care about freedom and are sensible enough to know what freedom is, you know, because I think what, what characterizes most people in the world today, and certainly a lot of people that I speak to in my life is like the whole, you don't care about freedom thing doesn't play at all with them because they don't, they don't believe that characterizes them. They believe that the life that they lead is like the, the optimal, like is freedom, is total freedom. And they're just making certain concessions for, you know, special circumstances, right? And they don't realize that like, they're not really the one in the driver's seat. They're, at, they're acquiescing and then post hoc rationalizing so they can retain some degree of control over what's going on in their lives. So they cannot feel like a complete slave basically, right? Oh, if I agree to something, then I don't have to deal with the mental gymnastics of being forced to do something that I don't agree with. But if I agree with it, then I'm, I'm still in my, in control of things, right? I'm in the driver's seat. And so I think a lot of them, um, the mainstream, the mainstream narrative is just palatable enough for them to adopt so that they don't have to relinquish their idea of their own freedom in order to acquiesce to whatever the thing may be. And I think that characterizes most people, you know, so our, the tact for, for, people that, you know, value freedom and have a strong idea of what it represents is not telling everyone, you don't care about freedom, you're a fucking this or that, like, that's just not going to play, right? So other angles have to be developed. And Bitcoin's got a lot of great angles to take. So I think, again, all roads lead back to Bitcoin in sneaking in the back door for this type of change, because we all know that like, most people come for number go up, right? Like, geez, I want to, I want to get rich. And then once you have number go up and then once you, once you take custody and then once you start feeling the effects of sovereignty and the, the fact that nobody's intermediating your experience here with your stored time and you know, all that stuff, your mind just starts racing in other ways. Like can, can, can such sovereignty be established elsewhere? Is the does sovereignty have value elsewhere? Uh, what, like, why am I disintermediating these institutions? Oh, they, you know, I thought it was for these reasons, but it turns out it's not. It turns out that's not necessary. It turns out they're actually doing things to me and my time and my savings and my money that I wasn't aware of and that I certainly disagree with. Hmm, maybe that's happening in other places, right? And so this is the kind of snowball effect of the transformation of people coming into Bitcoin and, and starting to change their perspective on a lot of different stuff. And so that's the way, right? Like, you know, I can argue until I'm blue in the face with people about political ideology or freedom or any of this stuff, but it just, it's not worth the, the frustration and the effort, you know, what's worth the effort is, is Bitcoin is putting your, your, your effort behind that and exploring whatever element of it that you enjoy and that you think is, think is most meaningful and sharing that out with people and doing it in an authentic way and having them observe that and, letting it pull them in whichever direction it does. Yeah, I, I completely agree, mate. And I just hope more and more people find themselves getting pulled in. You know, the, the, the kind of magnet analogy of, of Bitcoin, I think, is just becoming wider and wider and wider around. We're still so small. We are still so small. 
Totally. You know, look at Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> we nothing. It's, t- it's tiny. It's tiny. We like it's so it's <clears throat> so incredibly small. Now that's what I was going to ask you about. You know, finding yourself in revolutionary times. And God damn it, have you frozen and crushed again? <laughs> Come back to me, John. Come back to me. No, you've crashed, haven't you? Ladies and gentlemen, for the third time this evening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is Mr. Never, John Vallis. It never happened before. Jesus how, how many podcasters does it take to mash together the worst episode <laughs> you've ever <laughs> and this this is a, a perfect that was the segue this is where i was leading this and i didn't stop recording so we'll, we'll just roll with this one uh, okay. you you were talking very very early in the call about finding yourself in revolutionary times and you you find yourself here and in, in what you believe to be a revolutionary time, what many of us believe is certainly a revolutionary time. You know, we, we are creating a whole new financial system. We, we're on the, the world's only provably scarce medium of exchange. You know, this is, this is truly still mind-blowing to me. Finding you've clearly found your role. We both have. We found a little niche in, you know, lending our voice to, to this cause. But is that enough, right? You know, we are just sure we're recording these conversations and we're putting them out there. But it's only a certain select few of people right now that are hearing these things. You know, is the onus on us now to like really step our game up? You know. SEO, marketing, you know, trying to push the content that we've got as far and as wide as we can. Are we missing a trick? You know, just see what I'm getting at. Totally. Yeah. And the answer could be that it might be right. But I, as you're saying that the answer that comes to my mind is like the determination of what's most, what's the most meaningful and useful use of your time is like a daily determination until you die. Right. And so like, sure. If you went like full hog quote unquote growth hacking and all that stuff, I'm sure you could grow your audience. Is that what you want to do? Is that what you think is most meaningful? Like I still ask myself that stuff all the time. And like, I've been trying to write a little bit lately and I find it so painful uh and like i sit down and i'm like oh i'm hungry i'm gonna go check the fridge and then i'm like oh you know i gotta poop and i go to the bathroom and i'm like i'm a bit thirsty i need to get some water and i'm like why the fuck am i even spending time on this uh but i i I continue to go back to the well because i feel like there's something that i'd like to express and that is worth the really hard work of extracting it in the pristine form that i have faith exists inside of me, you know? And so um, I think you just got to keep asking yourself, like, what's the most meaningful use of my scarce resources? What, you know, what do I want to do? And if, and if impact is a part of that question, like what impact do I want to have and how can I best do it? Like, I don't want to, we've talked about this before. I don't want to make, like, it's not always useful to allow yourself to think like, 
well, I'm just going to be me and see what happens. And that kind of allows you to abdicate the responsibility of doing the legwork. That's not really like fun about what you're doing. Like if you really believe in what you're doing, then surely you'd believe that uh, maybe a bit of work into getting more people to hear it or whatever the thing is like, maybe that does actually make sense. Maybe that's a rational approach and you're just being lazy. That's definitely the case for me sometimes. Cause I am lazy with shit that I don't like doing. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the answer to that question is I don't like you want, you don't also don't want to assume much, too much about like the value of what you're doing. Like I love your stuff and I love how you come at all this stuff. And I love the people that you have on and the conversations, but like it's for the market to decide and the people that listen to decide and all that too, how much they value it and whether they want to amplify it and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, you end up seeing like, oh, like pe people seem to enjoy this. Like maybe my download numbers are going up and that's a good, it's, it's not a bad sign, right? It's a sign that like I'm, I'm, I'm adding more than I'm turning away. And, you know, that's validation of a certain kind. So, um, but I, I do generally think like, and, and back to Peterson, this is what characterizes a lot of what his shtick is about. It's like, you've got to just continue to have the courage and faith to be honest with yourself and be honest in your appraisal of the world and try to move forward, engaging the things that you believe are the most meaningful to you and the most helpful to the world and try to find the synthesis between those two things that is optimal, like the optimal synthesis, right? That doesn't abdicate your personal responsibilities or your individual comfort or happiness or enjoyment at the exclusion of the broader picture, nor vice versa, all of, you know, the exclusion of the broader picture at the expense of, or the focus on your own happiness or enjoyment at the exclusion of the importance of the broader picture or whatever. So I don't know if that, that is much of an answer, but um, I think we're, there's so many elements of this and we're all here at the beginning where there's like so much potential. This will all like diversify madly over the next 10 years, right? And as people have already started to do, like there'll be podcasts only for like some you know, app on the lightning network, for example, just to use a, a stupid oversimplified example, but like people aren't going to want to hear broadly about the internet, you know, now, or people don't want to hear about that. They want to hear <laughs> about like little niches of the internet and, and different things that are going on. And the, the thing is, is like, we're so wrapped up in this um, that we constantly, like, as you learn more about like self-custody and engaging with the network and all the different possibilities, as your perspective changes, as the environment around you changes, like we're all in a, in a rapid process of transformation. And some of us are aware of it and some of us are not. Some of us have a vantage point that we can see it better than others. But like we are, you know, we're being, a lot of us are being transformed right now. And <clears throat> the trick is, is to continue to like surf that wave and navigate that transformation in the best way possible. And I, to keep going back to this stuff, like I think the best compass in that environment is like the most genuine aspects of yourself. And like, if you can engage those things and understand them, I think the answer to how to apply them to that changing environment will emerge. It's always gonna be trial and, and, tri trial and error. 
and you're always going to fuck up and make mistakes and zig when you should have zagged and go in a different, the wrong direction for a while. But if that's your compass, like generally, I think you'll wind up in the direction that you're meant to be going. So that's a, you know, a little woo woo and a little cliche, but that's all I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, man. And how much do you still enjoy doing doing your show? Because I, I, I was inspired by you last year when you did uh, the month of September. I think you just hopped on a call every single day and you just smashed out content every day with i think like the whole shtick was whoever dms me first within the next hour i'm gonna you know jump on record it live and then up, upload it as a podcast as well that's a huge amount of content and i'm mm. finding that's a lot of work but you know i wanted to do the same kind of thing and you've got your book club going which i think is brilliant man i think you're nailing that and that is so great to listen to when you bring on two or three different people that's a hard thing to do as well manage that multi-conversational uh kind of um setup it's not as easy as doing the the, the one-to-one and you guys go into some really really deep rabbit holes and some guests on that show you know they're quiet for like 40 45 minutes before they even get to 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 chime in and and so it's again it's a different thing to listen to but so great so how's it all sitting with you at the moment you know this 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 whole podcasting thing and hopefully you've dangled the carrot you might get peterson on how do you see this playing out for you in the uh in the next um year do you do you have a bunch of new ideas um i don't have any it's a it's a fun medium right and i think it can be used more broadly than maybe it, it's most often used and you know so like the book club i mean the book club's an example of that in, in just trying to do something a little bit different but it's also just me you know i think i finished i think the sovereign individual is the first one i think i finished that book and i was like i want to talk about this book you know and who better than a bunch of bitcoiners to talk about it with and i think we had like six or seven on that one and i found that that doesn't permit enough time for each individual to really you know, speak enough. So I found four, like three plus me is, is probably the, the best number. So each person gets roughly like a half an hour in total to speak if we do a, a two hour thing. But um, and nobody wants but, to speak before or after breed love, right? I mean, that's, that's, just the, <laughs> that's the worst hand in the room. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's funny, man, because like I took a, I didn't do much at all over Christmas. And, you know, when we were speaking the other day, I think I said, like, I, you know, I didn't have any things lined up. And then I, I just on the weekend, I booked some for this week. And so I'm just kind of trying to follow my interest uh, and what I want to do. Like I, the month in, that I did like a piece of content every day, I love talking to like random people on Twitter, you know, plebs and stuff like it's amazing. But I don't want it to feel like an obligation ever. And, it, you know, it, it can become that. And so, it's you know, it's on me to like, continue to just use this phenomenal medium and the access that it permits to like keep doing shit that I am actually engaged in. But the flip side of that is I don't want to become static myself. And if I'm always just focused on making content, then I'm not upgrading my own knowledge and insights enough. And so, you know, that's why, 
like sometimes I pull back a bit because I want to learn more and upgrade so that like, I'm not just saying the same shit over and over again, but there's like, I'm adding to it and I'm refining my perspective. So that's a part of it because I think if, if you're not simultaneously improving who you are and your base, your knowledge base and your understanding and the complexity of your understanding and all that kind of stuff, then, I mean, the podcasts are very much a reflection of you, right? So I think if you don't, if you're not constantly on, on that journey, then I, I can see it becoming disinteresting for the audience, but almost more importantly, like, what's the point? Like, if you're not having these conversations for some purpose of like increasing your own perspective or knowledge or connecting with people that are also doing the same, I don't know. It seems like it becomes far more trivial in my mind if that's not the case. So uh, but it's it's I got a few lined up for this weekend. I'm looking forward to them, thinking about different types of content. Um, and, you know, what's awesome about this is a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. So Bitcoin getting bigger and, you know, more and more people coming into the space just means that by virtue of us being here, like we we have a shot at speaking to, you know, people that, you know, maybe would have been difficult to access before. And that's great because. The, you know, I was thinking he, and maybe I told you this before, but I think the first interview I did was I was at base camp of Mount Everest when I was 18, right? You told, told Lauren. You, right. You told Lauren. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I, so I interviewed the guy that was summiting, right? And it was, you know, I put a camera in his face and was like, are you scared? Um, how long is it going to take? Um, you know, that shit like that. But the point is, is like, I've always been fascinated with understanding someone else's perspective and like empathizing with, with their worldview and with what they know. And if I feel like there's anything that they, they know that's, that I want, that I want to know, um, I enjoy the process of digging around for. Um, and so, you know, what could be better than having the pool from which you can select those people grow. And if we're right and Bitcoin is the most relevant phenomenon happening in the world today and it's going to consume everyone and everything, then, you know, if, if I can keep bobbing around in this pond, it might mean I get to connect with people like Peterson and, you know, who, who, whomever else that, that, um, that I would just genuinely love to connect with. And to the extent that the podcast allows you to do that. And sometimes you probably know this, like a guest is not that willing to communicate with you on like perfectly equal they're not willing to participate in a conversation the same way that you are right they're more used to it being an interview format and you know that happens and that's par for the course but what i really love is when people just show up and they're just open like let's let's have a chat and see where it goes and i know that's largely your um approach as well and that's great because when, when two people are just, just show up as themselves and it's like, Hey bro. And they're like, Hey bro. And you're like, let's hit it. And <laughs> you know, so usually, usually, you know, a nice, a nice exchange comes out of it and every now and then, you know, advancing understanding does too. And that's, that's great. Have you been shocked? I mean, clearly you have, you know, Peterson aside, have you been shocked at the breadth and depth of people that are listening? I know we said we were hitting a very, very niche market, but when I should have framed this up a little bit better, like you know, when Sailor hit hit the um, hit the wire, you know, he he referenced like Parker Lewis and Robert Breedlove and uh, Peter McCormack and and a few others, and you're just like, oh shit, 
people are people are actually listening yeah yeah the um that uh and that it struck me when when that came out as well i can't say much about the breadth and depth because like I, I don't even pay attention to the diversity of people across any metric whether it's economic you know country racial sex whatever but uh what what does strike me and i'm sure you get this a lot too is is i i just assume like there's a dissonance for me and i just assume nobody's listening to this conversation but me and you right mm -hmm. and like it does, just does not dawn on me whatsoever and that's why i hate when i have to have my computer open when i'm the host and i can see especially if i use restream or something like i can see how many people are watching like it, i hate that because it, it kind of reminds me that people are uh so it because of that, it's a trip for me when I get these messages from people that like, like people tell me that the conversations have changed their lives, uh, which is awesome, obviously, but it's a bizarre thing to read. You know, I got one right before we, we came on this and someone said, like, I just found, you know, the sailor pod and, you know, you know, gave it to my dad and now we jam on this and we've, we're, we're all in and we're going down the rabbit hole and like, thank you so much. And then, and like ones that are a lot heavier than that too. I've spoken on this a little bit before, but like a lot of people in this day and age are in pretty desperate situations in their life, right? The world's not giving them what they reflecting back, what they think it should. And they're suffering from a lot of different difficult circumstances and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, despair, and drug substance abuse and suicide is like epidemic in many cases and places around the world today. And people actually reach out and they're like, this conversation uh, turned it around for me. And now this, this, and this happened. And I just want to reach out and say, thank you. And <laughs> I mean, we, you know, I, I, when we talk about this being worth our time, and I'm sure we both sometimes wonder like, as much as we enjoy it, like, is this the best use of the, the amount of time it takes to do this stuff and all, all the rest of it? Like, it's hard to receive those things and not then answer that question in the affirmative, even just one. Like, it's a, I don't know, I don't know how to, to take those sorts of things, but like to know that a silly conversation you had, or at least a simple conversation, uh, something contained within it was powerful enough to have such an impact on someone that it actually like it's no small thing to improve your life and feel good about your life when previously you felt bad about it and i'm sure we can all relate on some level right but like to wake up and engage the world and you know with energy and with a positive attitude and with hope uh, and with courage and strength uh, and i like that's a spectrum and that fluctuates for all of us obviously but like to to do that when before it was the exact opposite that is, well, back to this theme of it all being all about the individual, like that's what it's all about. That's how you get a better life for the individual. That's how you get a better life for the world. And to know from these people reaching out that we're playing a very small part in that is still uh, seems to make, you know, seems to make it all worthwhile to borrow another cliche, but you know, it's true. <laughs> I pound the table on this all the time. And, you know, for anybody that's listening uh, to, to come to the realization that you, you never know who you might inspire. And we, you and I chose this medium, 
for whatever reason. You, you're, you're trying to write, uh, but uh, you know you, you know you don't enjoy really? it as much. But, some, <laughs> <laughs> but somebody might, right? Somebody listening to this might have that article locked up in their brain, and for, for th- th- there's there's something blocking them doing it. And I know what that block is. That block is the social construct that's been built up around you and this belief that you're not a writer and you're not good enough. And who the hell do you think you are to write a piece about Bitcoin and then upload it to Medium and then just bang it out on Bitcoin Twitter? I think what John and I are here to say is just fucking do it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because who knows who might read that and who knows what, what what whatever you write down how that might affect someone and change their world or meme or do or or, or build a website or, or whatever it is because there's there's so much that needs to be done to to keep spreading this message and and i just hope as well for like the the big institutions that are coming in i hope that they get pulled in that direction too. And they can add value to the whole community and the whole ecosystem in just such a huge way that we've never, ever had before. And this makes me so bullish for the future. I think we'll see that. You know, I, you know, companies are starting to pop up in energy sector, in finance, in tech, and they're seeing the power of the Bitcoin network and they're saying, all right, we, like, we need a Bitcoin strategy, right? What's our play here? And I think you'll see a lot of them. You saw the stuff with CT recently. I think you'll see a lot of them say, okay, we're, we're going to have a division of our company. We're going to spin off a company, capitalize it, uh, and we're going to use it to invest in infrastructure in our industry, or we're going to use it to do whatever, whatever. And very likely, because of the ethos of all this, a part of it is like, maybe we'll support devs, or maybe we'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll contribute in some non-purely profit-seeking way. Not that there's anything at all wrong with that, but I just think that people feel some kind of a, uh, a desire to contribute, right? In, in, in both of those ways, which, which is great. And uh, so like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if like half the Fortune 500 con- uh, companies in the next five years have a Bitcoin division, right? And, and that is just for figuring out and administering how they leverage the Bitcoin network in whatever the fuck else they do, because it's becoming apparent that it's far more than just money on the internet. Like that's the found, you know, that may be the foundation, but what it permits and the efficiencies it can bring and the possibilities it introduces to a lot of existing industries and lines of business is beginning to be revealed. And it's really, really exciting. And I think all of them, you know, perhaps purely from a competitive point of view, but I think also the ideological alignment seems to be dragged in with that, uh, is they're, they're going to have to do it. And I think that means more money in the space, more opportunities, more, more everything, you know, and that's why yeah. you know, I've heard you say before, and I, I agree, like if, if you're sitting on the sidelines and you have this thing you want to write, like, first of all, who gives a single fuck what anyone thinks of it? Just write it down, put it out. You got nothing to lose. Um, but I think a lot of people also feel like, well, I'm not a writer and I don't, I'm not really a podcaster. So like, I guess that's, you know, I guess that's nothing for me, but what I think is great is like, this will encompass everything. Like Bitcoin is money, right? So whatever it is, your thing is, I'm sure there's a way to integrate 
Bitcoin in it now, even if it's like just by converting your treasury or by using a lightning network or something or whatever, but more and more will become apparent in the future. So like I would like a sailor has said this a billion times, but like just figure out how to plug into Bitcoin, figure out how to contribute in a certain way or build in a certain way or express your enthusiasm for it in a certain way or whatever the fuck it is. And if you're so inclined, if you have the time and if you think it's valuable and I think it's a good, meaningful use of your time, then go for it. Like I, I, I can't, I can't relate to the, the, well, I shouldn't, that's kind of a dick thing to say. I was going to say, I can't relate to like the social pressure of not doing that, but I understand that people are apprehensive about sharing their thoughts because it's not generally something they've done in the past. But I think when you're confronted with such a paradigm shift with such a like mind-blowingly novel, like, holy shit, everything is different now thing, you're good because nobody knows what it fully is. So if you come out of the woodwork and you say like, you make some really crazy assertion that like Bitcoin is actually from the future. It's like, I'll read it. You know, it's because maybe you could be right because nobody really knows what this thing is in its entirety. And that, that allows for a lot of space for all kinds of different angles to tackle it. And so I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be um, afraid of, of sharing whatever thoughts bubble up in your mind regarding this stuff. To your point, there's going to be so many people coming into this space and they, you know, they will be putting divisions of people um, in, in, in their companies and they're going to be looking to hire people. They're going to be looking to, to hire Bitcoiners. So if you are front and center now and you're adding just the tiniest bit of content whenever you can, however you can, then you're out there, you're on the map and you, you stand a much better chance of changing your fiat life and, you know, entering into a, a Bitcoin position in, in some way, shape or form, if that's what you want to do in a, in a year or two. Uh, and I know people do because they're, they're all over it. They, they're always tweeting me, DMing, like, do you know of any companies that are hiring? Yeah. Um, and, and a quick shill for at Bitcoin at jobs, you know, go follow them on Twitter because they're always posting Bitcoin only companies that are looking to, to fill positions. And this is, this is just going to explode. Like the, this space is going to need people. And if you've got that almost calling card, like business card, CV, whatever you want to call it of like, yeah, Hey, this is some of the content I've created. I'm You're big on Bitcoin game. Twitter. Hire me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got 320 followers on Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> but you know the point I'm trying to make. Right? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. All right, John. Orange pill. You got one left. Who are you giving it to? Uh, the next person who needs it. Oh, you are, you, you've, you've, you've become so, you've become so zen over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's ever, it's who's a great ever, answer. Who's ever next in line, they should, they should be the one to get it. So, well, mate, it's been a great rip as always. And the Hornets would be all over me if I did not bring up this, this last subject. What do you think that might be, John? I think it might have something to do with the 100K party. <laughs> <laughs> you, you nailed it. 
How's that spreadsheet looking? Uh, I think I titled it. That's all. That's as far as I got. There's no names on it yet. <laughs> I still get messages like pretty much daily. Uh, you know, someone listened to the sailor interview on YouTube or the podcast and they're shooting their shot trying to get in, but no, haven't I'm, I think I was on a pod with you recently, but I, um, yeah, I, the way I think it's going to go down is like, we'll hit it and I'll message sailor and say like, when's this party going down and he'll tell me, and then I'll, you know, figure out who, you know, which plebs and maximalists are going, uh, or, or going to be invited rather. And, um, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty simple. I mean, the big question is like, when do we hit it? You know, seems like we're, we're marching pretty aggressively towards it, but you never know. We could chop around here for a couple months. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, you can't call it right. It's, um, I, I always, when we have these pumps, the first thing I, I envisage is you kind of like torn between Bitbo or Clark Moody, whatever you're looking at. And then just staring at the spreadsheet, like, oh my God, that thing's getting closer. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's going to be pretty easy to populate. That's my assumption. You know, like, I'm. Yeah, yeah but it's the turning the people down, which is going to be the, uh, the, the hard thing to do, right? There's, there's going to be well, like so you many. Said, there's the you know, Bitcoin Twitter is not that big. And, you know, unfortunately for all the people that aren't on there, like, that's the only way I even know of people. You know, and a party that can hold 1,200 people. I mean, I think you, you can get, a, you know, most of the most of the people that I know or interact with can can get on there. And, you know, there'll, there'll be some people that are salty because, you know, they've got shit coining in the record. And, and that, that means that they're not going to be receiving an invite. But hey-ho, there's lots of lots of other parties to go to, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah exactly but the, the 200k party won't be too far behind <laughs> yeah exactly exactly all right man well where should people come and find you if they don't know already uh yeah i mean twitter like everyone uh i don't know you if you'll find me there if uh if you're interested in, in learning more my handle is john j-o-h-n-k valis v-a-l-l-i-s and the podcast is Bitcoin Rapid Fire. If you, uh, you know, want more of these types of conversations, and uh, it's always a pleasure, my man. It's uh, it's been a little bit too long. I'm glad you had the impulse and impetus to set this up and give it a little bit more time, and uh, we'll get you over on mine to continue the conversation without the uh, technical difficulties. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> you never know when the gremlins are going to uh, rear their ugly heads. Oh, yeah, John, thanks. Now. I got, I got, I got two, two in the schedule for tomorrow. I better figure that out beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of those aren't Peterson. I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> All right, man. Take care, brother. Great to see right, you. Brother. Take care. Hey guys, thank you for sticking around with John and I, even through his three computer crashes. Uh, what a what a professional show we managed to put on for you all. Um, I hope you didn't get too thrown off course with that. We were obviously dealing with uh, <laughs> a 
something wrong with, with John's computer. I hope uh, you managed to work that out, man. Thanks for coming on, as always, John. Thanks for everything you do in the space. And fingers crossed that you do have something lined up or something is occurring with, with Jordan Peterson. We are all behind you and we are all very much looking forward to that episode if and when it should ever happen. Please, guys, if you're not following John or if you've not listened to any of his shows, make sure you do go and check them out. His content is always excellent. He has some amazing guests on and he manages to get more out of people than I think anybody else in the space. And he, he takes a slightly different approach to many of us and really does focus on that, the psychological, deep thinking side of, of what this means for society and our future it's just brilliant to listen to all of these uh, guests that he has on and, and the answers that he manages to pry out of them so big thanks mate can't wait to actually meet you in real life one day have a real beer together wherever that may be in the sunshine somewhere or on your frozen lake it really doesn't matter for those of you that are enjoying the show i thank you very much for all of your support this has been a wall of content series think this is the ninth straight drop i have maybe a day that i've uh, i might take uh off but then straight back onto it so as long as the content is coming it will get pushed out to you thank you for supporting the show rating reviewing subscribing replying sharing with your friends retweeting really appreciate it for the companies that feel uh, the show is worthy of your support. Thank you so much. Please visit the sponsors. You can find them on my website, once-bitten.com. Just go to the sponsors page. You will find CoinFloor in the UK. That's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. You will find in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. You will also find across Europe, Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch forward slash bitten and the hardware wallet you want to use is brought to you by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten bitbox 02 bitcoin only edition thanks guys take care